Welcome. I'm E.G. Marshall. Have you ever met them? The pig-headed, the know-it-alls, the wiseacres who will never learn, at least not by experience. If fortune hits them, it's their due. If it's misfortune, it's an accident, a mistake, never their fault. But I speak in generalities, and if you hang on, I'll get down to specifics. And what specifics? Uh, Sir Charles, this is uh, the fine handiwork of a certain Colonel Clay. You are not the first who has come to the police here in Monte Carlo. Uh, many others have been victimized. Fifty Pond, you said a Colonel Clay. Then you know the man. Oh, I know him. <laughs> he is unforgettable. He has a face which he molds like clay. He is a man of infinite disguises. But his real name? Who knows? He is a nationality. Who knows? All I can tell you is the police of four countries have never been able to catch him. Our mystery drama, Diamond Cut Diamond, was adapted especially for the Mystery Theater by G. Frederick Lewis and stars Fred Gwynn and Norman Rose. some time now, I've had the enormous pleasure of bringing to your attention stories of mystery, murder, and mayhem, as well as their lighter counterparts, robbery, jewel, bank, and highway. To me, the world of crime, crooks, and chicanery is fascinating, and we of Mystery Theater are always on the lookout for the arresting and intriguing. Today, we thrust our microphones into the back stairs and private lives of two men. One of the richest men in the world, the other one of the most cunning. You're hitting a nail on the head when you say this man was cunning. He was, without doubt, a master swindler. Uh, but I'm getting ahead of myself. My name is Cy Wentworth. I'm the personal secretary to Sir Charles Vandreve, who has made several fortunes in South African diamond mines. Now his interests are more varied, and his fingers delve into a hundred pies in a hundred countries. I go everywhere with him to manage and take up the slack. Not even a week or so on the Riviera. I, I think Lady Vandriff would have enjoyed the roulette wheel, Sir Charles. I asked my wife to come along, but no, she had things to do in Paris. Amelia has a mind of her own. Is this your first visit to the casino, sir? <laughs> it's my first visit to Monte Carlo, Sir Charles. Are you going to place a bet? No, the odds are against you and for the bank. Well, I thought it was uh, a three to one when you win. No, when you win. What happens now? Well, the players put their bets on the table, some on the numbers, or red or black, high or low, even or odd. The wheel is spun, the ivory ball is rolled in the opposite direction, and... Well, you know, where it falls is where you lose. Well, uh, uh, aren't you pessimistic? Realistic. The end of a Betting is closed. My educated guess, uh, as a banker, out of the 30 people you see betting here at the table, one in five-eighths of a person may win. Now, what is that in percentages? Uh, very low. Yes, precisely my point. Order! 32. Oh, 
32, that's me. There's a lady who won. Well, she'll win once, maybe twice, but no more than that. Why do people keep coming back here if they're losing all the time? Because many years ago, someone started the rumor that with the right system, you can break the bank at Monte Carlo. But you say, Sir Charles, it doesn't happen. Rarely. Seldom. Generally, never. Jeez, no! Nineteen. Me again, nineteen. But that's twice the same lady. <laughs> Shall we go, Sir Charles? No, no, no. I wish to stay. I've proved to you that every franc she's made, she will lose. Bankers! Twenty-four has won. Twenty-four! Et encore, Bankers! Once again, twenty-four! Oh, my goodness me! Thirteen. Madame. Oh, I forgot. I got all my chips on thirteen. Oh, thank you. She was quite a beautiful lady, and after a while, everyone else stopped playing to watch her. Time and again, her number would come up like, like, like clockwork. From time to time, I would catch her opening her handbag and, and compact a part of her nose. Well, she must have a system. And I wondered what it was. The next night. Well, Sai, what were you planning on doing this evening? Well, I was going back to the casino and see if that lady with the winning streak shows up. Uh, do you want to come? Good idea. I like to watch the faces. A gambling casino takes advantage of people's weaknesses. <laughs> well, that may be true, but it's also great fun. Fun? Throwing away money? No, pitting your wits against the odds. It's not impossible for a two nerve to make certain numbers come up. Here? Yeah. In Monte Carlo? Well, no, I've never heard of it happening here, but there's always a first time. See, well, I've made it an absolute, unshakable, unbreakable rule in life to watch the other man. And when you can't see what he's doing, get out of the game. Yes, but supposing it's the only game in town. Don't talk rot. Come along. Let's see how far your beautiful lady with the magic numbers will get tonight. Oh, it was really the damnedest thing. She won close to a million francs that night, powdering her nose more often than I, I thought it needed it. But I was dumbfounded. Sir Charles was angry. She was disproving his financial experience, his logic. He insisted I ask her to join us at the table. Uh, Sir Charles, may I present Mrs. Picard? Uh, Sir Charles Landry. <laughs> How good of you to come over. Uh, Mrs. Picard, it's unusual to see a lady alone at the gaming tables, especially one so attractive. Well, I haven't been here since, since my husband passed away four years ago. Oh, I am sorry. I understand how you feel. I didn't see either of you gentlemen playing roulette. Or is Schmander fair your game? Uh, no, I'm inexperienced, and Sir Charles is a banker. I'm not a gambler by nature either, but then I have my guru. You have a guru? Well, what does that mean? Well, we call him that. I don't know if he actually is. Well, uh, are you saying that He you... gives me the numbers, and I play them. Oh, he does? Yes. I hide the numbers in my compact. Oh, come now, Mrs. Picard, please. Why is that so unbelievable? This man... Uh, what does he call himself? If you'll let me finish, his name is Maranishi. I told you my husband had been dead for four years. One day, here in Morocco... I was at the hotel pool, and, and Maranishi came and sat beside me, and he said, Look there. And I saw the face of my husband in the water. Oh, how ghastly. It was. Because, you see, my husband had, had drowned. 
I could tell you many other stories. He is an extraordinary man. Yes, I expect extraordinarily expensive. I have never paid him one penny, not a franc, not a sou. Really? You don't cut him in on your roulette winnings? I don't know why I'm sitting here, subjecting myself to so much hostility, Sir Charles. I'm going now. I would say it was nice meeting you. But it wasn't. Uh, uh, Mrs. Picard, uh, Mrs. Picard. Oh, let her go, let her go. If you'll forgive my saying so, sir, you you really were a little rude. Perhaps I was. Well, sir, did you talk with the lady? Uh, Yes, sir, I found her on the terrace after dinner. Uh, She accepted your apologies. I must say, Mrs. Picard's the most attractive young woman I've seen in ages. I was thinking... This guru of hers, this Mishi Marshall. Uh, Mother Mishi. Well, whatever he calls himself. What terms do you think he would agree to for a private seance? You mean, how much would he charge? Yes, how much? Well, according to Mrs. Picard, he does not work for money. What he does is for the good of humanity. Oh, nonsense. The man must live. Now, look, find out where the chap is staying and get him to come to our hotel tomorrow night. Don't say who I am or where you're taking him. Bring him directly to my suite. I'll have Mrs. Picard there and a few others, whoever I can find. Nine o'clock. Esteemed sir, you have explained it very well to me. I understand and I accept the fact that a gentleman who would like to meet me tomorrow night prefers to remain anonymous. And yourself also. Ah, well, uh, you are free then tomorrow, Maramishi. You will come. Oh, oh, I do not sell my gifts, Sahib. I bestow them freely. If your friend, your anonymous friend, desires to behold the cosmic wonders that are wrought through my hands, I am happy to show them to him. You will come for me tomorrow, then. Oh, I, I shall be here at half past eight. Uh, which hotel is he staying at, the gentleman? Well, he uh, he has asked me not to divulge that either. Oh, oh excellent. A careful man who wishes to avoid any possibility, I might discover his identity just as well. I, I prefer to work with skeptics. It is more gratifying to convince a scoffer and a scorner than a trustful simpleton. <laughs> and I rather think your Mr. X is far from that. Barmishi, please come in. I, I must apologize to you. Those here in this suite are somewhat skeptical, and I've been told, except for our host and the gentleman who brought you here tonight... They don't know one another. Uh, Mrs. Picard, delightful to see you again. No need to apologize. Sahib, you are the host, are you not? My soul's sight tells me. Uh, Yes, yes, I am. Have we ever met before? No, we haven't. Do you know anyone else in this room? Only the gentleman who brought me here. His name begins with an S, I think. Uh, Seymour. Uh, But I believe you call him Sai. Uh, not so, Sahib. <laughs> did you tell him your name, Sai? Well, I certainly did not. Uh, can you tell me any more about myself, Maramishi? Seymour, Wilbraham, Earl of Strafford. Uh, no, uh, not quite. Uh, Seymour Wilbraham Wentworth. The, there seems to be some connection in someone's mind now present between Wentworth and Strafford. I don't know what it means, but they are somehow the same name. What's he talking about, Seymour? Well, it, it, it so happens that my surname, Wentworth, was also the surname of the late great Earl of Strafford. It didn't flash across my mind as you spoke. I mean, could I possibly 
be a descendant? Yes, yes, you are. This is very curious. Do you know, my father always said that we were related, and I, I never told anyone that. Really? No one knows about that? Oh, only my father, and he's dead. Even my employer sitting beside you, even he doesn't know that. Uh, Maramishi, I, I don't know what to say. I, I'm frankly amazed. And I'll have to tell you, we're a little frightened. Act One, which in this case means not only how far we have come in our mystery, but the first act performed by our mysterious guru to prove he is not a charlatan. On the other hand, mind reading, getting inside information, are all part of a tricker's accomplishments. But perhaps Maramishi is not counterfeit. We shall have to restrain our impatience until I return with Act Two. Welcome again as the curtain rises on that luxurious suite in the Hotel des Anglais. A fire in the fireplace, champagne in the glasses, and Sir Charles Vandrift and a few acquaintances test the powers of a mysterious man from the East. Mara Mishi, I ask you, can you answer this? Where was I born? I've got him there. Shh, please, Sir Charles. South Africa, Cape of Good Hope, Johnsonville, the Witch State. Nineteen twenty. Huh. Bye, Joe. Is correct. On the button. He really does it. You see, you see. Impressive. On second thoughts, Seymour, he may have found me out. He may have known where he was coming. I never gave him a hint. Until we reached the door, he didn't even know what hotel I was bringing him to. <laughs> Gentlemen and ladies, would you like me to tell you the number of a banknote enclosed in an envelope? Well, no, that's a test I can understand. Uh, would you leave the room, sir, and I'll make a selection. Uh, we shall wait until the door closes behind you. I, um, I hold up this banknote for all of you to see. Sigh, Mrs. Picard. Uh, you, sir. Madame, can you all see the number? Good. Now, Sigh, get me some envelopes from my writing case. This is the kind of test I like. You can't get by with any advance information here. Now, thank you, Sigh. Now, I take that manila envelope. Now, I place the banknote inside and seal it up. Uh, Maramishi, we're ready. You may come in now. Good. The, um... The banknote is inside this envelope. Uh, may I have the envelope? <laughs> Turning it over won't do you any good. It's a heavy envelope and it's sealed. Yeah. AF73549, a Bank of England note for 50 pounds. <gasps> Bravo! One of the four banknotes exchanged for larger notes at the cashier yesterday in the lobby of this hotel. I, I must say. I change those notes. I'll be. There must be a trick to it. It's not a trick. He can see through matter. He can see through a box. Oh, that's, that's hard to believe. Whether I have been able to convince all of you of the occult power with which I have been gifted, I cannot say. I do sense that I am desired to leave. However, b before I go, I will show you a different and more interesting embodiment of my powers, for which we shall need a more subdued light. I enjoy this. 
Uh, sorry, turn the lights down. Has All I... of them, Maramishi? Yes, please. Uh, we shall be able to see well enough by the light of the fire. <laughs> good. Uh, thank you, Mr. Wentworth. That will do. Be good enough now to pay strict attention. From my pocket, I take a small packet. Out of it, I pour a few grains of powder into this ashtray. Next, uh, a, a match, if you please. Sai, uh, a match for the guru. Uh, uh, thank you. Oh, what a beautiful light. Such a brilliant green color. Now I take from my pocket the small envelope. Uh, notice it is empty. Now I take out a small card and a bottle of ink. Uh, have you got a pen? Uh, uh, the real kind with a nib. But I never use any other kind. Assign my writing case. Uh, thank you. Now, Sahib Host, would you oblige me by writing your name in the center of the cart? Uh, hold it. I'm not so sure that's a good idea. Your signature might be a rather valuable commodity, sir. Yes, I, I was just thinking of that, sir. Uh, you have every right to be suspicious. When you have signed the card, place it in the envelope and then take it to the fireplace and burn it. When that's done, I shall show you your own name written in letters of blood on my arm in your own handwriting. Now that I should like to see. But, sir, your signature but is going to be burned. What's the difference? All right, give me the card. I put the pen in the ink bottle. Sign my name. There. Sahib, will you now stare very hard at your signature? Good. Keep staring. Now, place the card in the envelope. Now, seal the envelope. Done. Now, give me the envelope. I am carrying it in the full view of everyone in this room. Now, putting it into the fire. See? It is burning. All gone. Crumbled to ashes. And now I stand here in front of the green flames coming from the ashtray. You all can see me. Yes, yes. yes. Now I roll up my sleeve. Sahib, I am now holding my bare arm in front of you. Oh, what name do you see written there in blood or red letters? Charles. Van Drift. Would you say that is your handwriting? Yes, yes, it is, but I know how it's done. It's a darn clever illusion. Uh, I'll tell you, the, uh, uh, the powder burning in that ashtray gives off a distinct green color. Your ink, deep green. You made me stare at my signature for quite some time. So now, naturally, I see the same thing written on the skin of your arm in a complementary color, red. Uh, you think so? I'm sure of it. Happens often. I look into the sun at some brightly lit objects, close my eyes, and it remains on the retina. Then watch me as I roll up the sleeve of my other arm. Charles Van Rift is your name, but not your whole name. Now, look at my beard, her right arm. Is what you see also in a complimentary color? I don't wish to look. All, all right, I will ask your friend Seymour. What is the color of the writing on this arm? Uh, green. Quite green. And, sir, can you read the name? Yes. Charles O'Sullivan Van Drift. I say. But I, um, I don't want to have had enough. I'll turn on the lights. Is that your full name, sir? Yes, it is. I'll say this, Maramishi. You gave us a fine evening's entertainment. I, I am happy you were amused. But, frankly, I had hoped for more. 
more, or not only that you would be entertained, but enlightened. Well, perhaps another time. All dressed and ready, Sai. Come in, dear boy. Well, it is a beautiful morning, Sir Charles. I've been up for hours, and I had to walk along the promenade. Uh, just now in the lobby, said my goodbyes to Mrs. Picard. Goodbye? Where is she going? Well, she was a bit vague about that. Florence or Rome or somewhere. Where in Florence or Rome? Oh, I neglected to ask her. Sorry. Oh, well, just as well. If I formed any attachment for the lady, how could I ever hope to keep it a secret from Amelia? <laughs> Our, uh, guru friend was quite a trickster. Uh, a lot more to it than sleight of hand, I think, sir. How could he have come up with your middle name, O'Sullivan? Now, I have been your secretary for 15 years, and you've never used it. Oh, I suppose it exists somewhere as on a birth certificate. Hmm? Of course, he found it out. I don't know how, but these chaps make a business of finding out things. So, you have no faith in it at all? Certainly not. All packed and ready to go. Yes, I, I think I, I, I manage everything, Sir Charles. <laughs> I'd be sorry to leave Monte Carlo. <laughs> Well, glad we stayed the extra week. Yes, it's been a splendid change. Now, if only we didn't have to meet Amelia in St. Moritz and could fly on to Italy. But she likes the snow and skiing. What are you fussing with those papers for, Si? Oh, uh, your uh, London Bank forwarded your statement, and I'm comparing your cancelled checks with your stubs, as I always do, sir. But I can't seem to find the stub for this check made out for £5,000 cash. Let me see that check. Well, I'll be he. He did it after all. Uh, uh, who did what? Our friendly guru. He communed all right, but with my pocketbook. He got my 5,000. Well, how did you know? My signature in green ink, remember? But how did he, how did he transfer what you signed on to this check? It, it, it looks like you wrote it, Sir Charles, not like a forgery. I never dreamed he'd take me like this. My signature on a blank check. It's incredible. Uh, are you saying we can't get the bank to make good the 5,000? I don't see how. It's my true signature. Well, I think a visit to the chief of police is in order. Uh, Sir Charles, in my opinion, Colonel Clay is struck again. You are not the first who has come to the police here in Monte Carlo. Chief Dupont, you said a Colonel Clay, then you know the man. Oh, certainly, he's unforgettable. <coughs> we call him Colonel Clay. The Paris Surete call him Monsieur Robert Face because his face is like Indian rubber, is so changeable. A man of infinite disguises. Now, sometimes he pretends he's an army man, a colonel, <laughs> but his real name, who knows? His nationality, who knows? Yes, when we met him, he was a guru. Oh, <laughs> a guru. <laughs> well, this is a new one. At least you didn't get an old performance. I have some pictures. Will you look? Hmm. No, no, not at all. Not him in the slightest. I remember Sir Charles, a master of makeup, some patty, clay, the nose, the chin, a wig, voila, all different. But not the eyes. Our man had very large pupils, shining, you know. These photographs show a man with small eyes. A drop of belladonna and the eyes expand. Five grams of opium and you have the reverse. A narrow, ignorant expression. Sir Charles, I shall devote the resources of this office to finding out what we can. <coughs> I suggest you return in three days. 
welcome, coming, Sir Charles. I see you have brought a lady with you. Uh, yes, my wife, Lady Van Drift. She was to meet me in St. Moritz last week, but this is more pressing. Enchanté, uh, madame. I can't think how this guru creature could have deceived Charles. <laughs> I'm glad to say I have discovered everything. Our light-fingered friend came to Nice this winter for the express purpose of robbing you, Sir Charles. Well, but it's impossible. I sent for him. Oh, Charles, you are so gullible. <laughs> the matter of uh, the private seance. He had your name already painted on his arm before. The matter of the check. You signed not knowing it was a check. But how did he do that? I show you this card. Almost flat. Inside is a blank check folded. And the window in the center is where you signed your name. <laughs> You said it was dark. The only light from something green burning. Uh, probably in the excitement, uh, you did not notice. But he put it in an envelope and burned it. I saw that. Oh, nothing to pop off one envelope for another. I am afraid, Sir Charles, it is bye-bye. Five thousand pounds. Five thousand pounds? You never told me it was that much, Charles. Well, you can jolly well buy me those diamonds to match my necklace. Now, now, Amelia, I never said I wouldn't. Monsieur Dupont, thank you. At least you have identified the culprit. I expect we'll be able to arrest him now. Oh, uh, Sir Charles, you expect he wriggles out of our fingers. And even if we caught him, his disguises are so impeccable, uh, who would identify him, huh? <laughs> One more thing. As a matter of the widow, uh, Madame Picard... Uh, Madame... Oh, yes, yes. Uh, an accomplice, a sister or a wife. Dear, what a shame. Well, put it all behind you. It could have been much worse. Oh, that's the trouble with these resorts. One gets too fat. Well, surely, Lady Vandrift, you work it off on the ski slopes. <laughs> uh, you've been out there all day. It doesn't seem to do me any good. Here I am stuffing myself at dinner time. Uh, Sir Charles, that man sitting at the next table, do you see who I mean? That young parson, the thin fellow with the glasses, sitting with the freckle-faced girl? Oh, no, 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 not them. At the other table, uh, the man sitting alone? Oh, oh yes. Sinister-looking chap. Yes, I've caught him twice looking over here at us. Do you notice his eyebrows? <laughs> Bushiest darn things I've ever seen. No, no, don't look now, but you know, it occurs to me. Do you suppose they could be stuck on fake eyebrows? Of course. That devil, what luck that he's here in the same hotel in St. Moritz. We've tracked him down. Sir Charles, we're not following him. He is following us. From the Riviera to the Swiss Alps, could indeed the man with the bushy eyebrows have the nerve to try again? Only this time Sir Charles is well on his guard. Who wins? Who loses? The man of a thousand disguises or the man of a million pounds sterling? I shall be back shortly with the unusual conclusion to this extraordinary tale.
some quarters, a man capable of the sleight of hand swindle is regarded as a true artist, for he is the one who lives by his wits, takes the least chances for the most gain. Hocus pocus, now you see it, now you don't. Now you see me, now you don't. Is the man with the bushy eyebrows the elusive Colonel Clay? And how would one prove it? I'm going over to his table this minute and ask him what he means by being here. Yeah, Sir Charles, please, please come back. Oh, oh I'm terribly sorry, Reverend. I wasn't looking where I was going. Uh, uh, perfectly all right. No, it isn't. It certainly isn't. I've spilled wine all over your table, knocked a glass on the floor. Oh, oh please think nothing of it. I am sorry. <laughs> it's all right. It missed my wife's dress. Now, look, you can't finish your meal with the tablecloth in this condition. Would you and your wife please join us at our table and let me order another bottle of wine for you? Well, if you insist. Uh, uh, what do you say, Jesse? Blast it all. Oh, excuse me, Reverend. Uh, what is it? That man with the bushy eyebrows. Uh, he's gotten up from his table and left the dining room. A friend of yours? No, decidedly not. Uh, someone who was at Monte Carlo when we were there. Please, just leave everything here, will you? Certainly. Amelia, darling, allow me to introduce uh, This is the Reverend uh, uh, Brabazon And uh, this is my wife, Jessie oh, Charles, you ought to be ashamed I saw you charging to that table like a bull in a china shop uh, um, This is Mr. Wentworth, Sir Charles' secretary uh, How'd you do? I'll get you more chairs oh, I suddenly realized I hadn't introduced myself Charles Van Drift Ah uh, you're here to do the winter sports. My wife does the skiing, I do the paying. Well, here we are, two chairs. Uh, you know, we don't usually impose on people. My wife and I, well, we haven't been married that long, and when we take a vacation, I'm afraid we're not very sociable. <laughs> no. What kind of wine were you drinking? Oh, I'm afraid it was the cheapest kind of plonk on a wine card. <laughs> My wife and I, as you might guess, uh, are not very knowledgeable in taste. What is a country parson and his wife doing at the Grand Hotel in St. Moritz? Well, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm a little ashamed of spending so much money, but my wife came into a bit of an inheritance, and since it was our first anniversary, and we've always wanted to go to Switzerland, well, here we are. Well, I think that's just too sweet. Have you ever skied, Reverend? Don't answer that. I am going to take your wife in tow and see to it that while you're here, she will learn. Oh, Jesse, do you hear that? Too kind of you. I'm not much of an outdoorsman myself, and I rather had my eye on the billiard table in the lounge. But I didn't know anyone to play with. Reverend, I am your man, also a decidedly indoor sportsman. <laughs> you can imagine, Sir Charles, in our little village, the parson does not play pool. Well, I shouldn't think so. Well, shall we have coffee and dessert? The waiter, a bottle of Lafitte Rothschild. Be four in the side pocket. Five in the corner. I see. The six, let me see. Oh, yes, the side pocket. Huh. I never thought I'd get my turn. Just a run of luck. For a man who doesn't play very much, you're giving me a good run for my money. Ah, Jesse and I had the most glorious afternoon on the slopes. She's a very quiet girl. She took to skiing like a duck to water. That Brabazon. It's a pleasure to meet an honest man. They don't have much, but he's quite content. They have enough to live on. I asked him about the poor in that village of his. Uh, Eppingham? Yes, yes, on purpose to test him. 
I know from experience these country parsons are always trying to screw something out of you for their poor. Would you believe it? He's got no poor. They're all well-to-do farmers. He said to me, if somebody gave me 50 pounds to use in my village, I wouldn't know what to do with it. Well, he certainly doesn't want anything out of you. Ah, Reverend, you're the first down. I'm going to tell you. I simply adore your wife. Oh, well, she's having the time of her life skiing with you, Lady Vandry. Ah, here comes Charles. Ah, good evening, Reverend. But where is she? Isn't your Jessie a little late for dinner? Uh, uh, Jessie said she felt a bit indisposed and had ah. to come down without her. That's a coincidence. Sai said he didn't feel too well either. Mm. He's not having dinner. Heavens! Those cufflinks of yours, Reverend, I never noticed you wearing them before. No, I certainly have. Well, uh, every night uh, I dress for dinner. What extraordinary fine diamonds they are. And so large, my goodness. No, they are good stones, uh, very good stones, <laughs> uh, considering. Uh, but they're not diamonds, Lady Vandrift. <laughs> they're the best old-fashioned oriental paste. My great-grandfather brought them for a few rupees from an Indian cavalry officer who had looted them from the Sultan's palace. He also thought, like you, he'd got a good thing. But when he had them looked at by experts, they were only paste. They're worth, uh, oh, I'd say, no more than two or three pounds. Really? May I have a look at them? Of course, Sir Charles. I'm used to taking them off. They're always noticed. Hmm. Admirable imitation. I'm not surprised they fooled the experts. Uh, Lady Vandrift has a, a necklace very similar in character. Same age, same design, same cut stones. But of course, genuine diamonds. Um, since these are so much like them and would complete her set, I wouldn't mind giving you, say, 50 pounds for the pair of them. 50 pounds? Oh, my goodness, 50 pounds for two paste stones. Oh, I couldn't do that. They're absolutely worthless. But for me, you see, they have a sentimental value. Oh, well, should you change your mind, Reverend, you would be making Lady Vandrift very happy. Well, now, shall we order dinner? I couldn't get over it, Charles. Those diamonds in his cufflinks are identical. And you know I've been to practically every jewelry store on the continent to find two extra links for my necklace. How can they look so much like mine and be imitation? Because they were probably part of the original set. Your necklace, my dear, also once belonged to the Sultan. You mean... That the Reverend's cufflinks are not paste. They are real. Oh, Charles. He doesn't know it. They're worth not less than 20,000 pounds. But I shall bid them up gently. It's too bad there's only one billiard table. Well, I suppose we'll have to wait our turn. Yes. Uh, by the way, Reverend... I've left a very unhappy wife upstairs. She has her heart set on your cufflinks. Shall we say, two hundred pounds? Oh, oh, this, oh, this is awkward. I, I you see, I'm no money grubber. Uh, uh, surely you understand my mother's gift and family tradition are, are not for sale. Supposing I were to make it five hundred, what opportunities it would give you? You could, well, you could build a new wing on your village schoolhouse. No, 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 no. I couldn't. I. Oh, I hope they end their game soon. Uh, oh, really, Sir Charles, I couldn't part with them. Well, the money matters little to me. Amelia has her heart set on them. Isn't it every man's duty to please his wife? I offer you 
A thousand pounds? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, well, look. Let me talk it over with Jesse. Uh, a thousand. Huh. Gracious. Yes, who is it? Well, good morning, Sir Charles. Time to go down to breakfast. Is uh, Lady Vandrift up and about? Yes, she's been making my morning a horror. Well, why is that? This note pushed under our door. The Reverend and his wife had to leave suddenly for Paris. His favorite sister suddenly taken ill. Oh, Seymour, have you heard? That stupid little country curate and his dowdy, clumsy little wife have left St. Moritz, and he's taken the cufflings with him. Charles has let the chance slip away. I'll never be happy now. I don't even know where in Paris they are. Well, I could find out. Who could? Well, why not? They've probably left a forwarding address at the desk. Then you must strike while the iron's hot. Seymour, I want you to locate those two. Take the night train and offer them... What did you say? They were really worth, Charles. Conservatively, 20,000 pounds. Then offer them five. Charles, write out a bank draft. I make it for 10,000 just to be on the safe side. Try to get them for less, of course. But even at 10,000, they're an extraordinary bargain. It's me, Amelia. Ah, oh, why? <laughs> it's good to be back in Switzerland. I haven't had a wink of sleep in 48 hours. Mm. I feel as if I've been, been travelling on trains forever. Well, did you get them? Did you get them? Uh, did the diamond cufflinks were Of course I did. Oh, marvellous man. But are you sure they're real? Well, I'm not an expert, but uh, Sir Charles says they are. I was talking to a woman in the hotel. She says it's a well-known trick. A swindler has two sets... And he makes you buy the false one by showing you the real one and pretending it's a special favour. I'm sure we've been cheated. How much did you pay for them? Uh, uh, fortunately, his sister was extremely ill. Uh, had to have all kinds of expensive operations. Uh, uh, that helped. How much? The, the full 10,000 pounds. Ah! 10,000? I shan't rest easy until Charles sees him. He'll kill me if they're really paced after all. <laughs> I, I know what I'm doing. They are real. Magnificent. Amelia's gone down to the hotel safe to fetch her necklace and we'll see how well they match. <laughs> She's happy now, isn't she? Oh, you, you've done a wonderful thing for her, Sir Charles. <laughs> you know, it just occurred to me, where, oh, where is that poor little clergyman going to cash a check for £10,000? Uh, he wouldn't take the check. No? Exactly for that reason. So I, I went to your Paris bank, cashed it, and brought in the money. And I must say, the Reverend Brabazon is a trusting soul. Before I'd gone to the bank, he'd handed me the cufflinks. I had them in my pocket. But I could have walked out of his hotel and never come back. <laughs> well, there's nothing like an honest man, I always say. Charles! Yes. Charles, you know what's happened. Look, look, look in the jewel case. Two of my own diamonds from the necklace are gone. He's stolen two diamonds from my necklace and stole them back to us. Oh, my Lord in heaven, the little curate was Colonel Clay. And Jessie, his freckle-faced little wife, she is Mrs. Picard. Oh, what a consummate rogue. <laughs> Uh, since I began this story, let me add a postscript. We never saw the money or Colonel Clay and his lady again. 
Nor did we get any sympathy from Monsieur Dupont, the police. He said to Sir Charles, I don't think you have much cause for complaint. Your wife thought she'd bought paste at the price of diamonds. You and your secretary thought you'd bought diamonds from an unsuspecting person at half their value. Colonel Clay, he took you all in. It was diamond cut diamond. thousand disguises, in his own way, unmasked a man of wealth who could not disguise his own greed. What is it Nathaniel Hawthorne once said? No man can wear one face to himself and another to the multitude without finally getting bewildered as to which may be true. I shall return shortly. Hurry! Did our millionaire learn a lesson? Don't try to cheat the cheaters. Don't try to con a con. To be quite honest, we doubt it. Men like Sir Charles go through life by their own rules. And if you ask me, I'd rather deal with a full-time crook than a part-time honest man. At least you know where you stand. Our cast included Norman Rose, Fred Gwynn, Earl Hammond, and Barbara Somers. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams.